Are you ready for the end of the world? This is Your Community Spirit, a show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. Circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy on Mother Earth. This is your community spirit coming at you live and somewhat local here at your community radio, WDBX. My name is Treesong. We also have a guest with us on the phone. Who do we have with us today? Good day. This is the energy mon, almost energized. <laughs> I'm sure our regular listeners are surprised by who our guest on the phone is. <laughs> what do you call it? Yeah, I just had a morning meeting uh, talking about solar, so... But I am... Out of town, again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you spent some of your energy on that meeting, but now maybe you've got some energy still left. <laughs> well, we'll see. If yeah. I start dragging down, um, yeah, I might have to pop my head out into the sun. <laughs> yeah. I do have my shirt on that says, I am not bald at the solar panel for my sex machine. So. <laughs> yeah. Once the sun comes out, I'll be powered back up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'll let you read this first one. This first one might apply to you today. <laughs> yeah. Sprayable caffeine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm actually in a coffee house, sitting out back. We got a <laughs> nice little garden. Um, sprayable caffeine for when coffee's too difficult. Too difficult, huh? Ugh, caffeine is such a pain. You have to pour down a steaming cup of foaming milk and espresso or pour an entire thimbleful of five-hour energy drink down your gullet. Or break off a crisp piece of disgusting dark chocolate. It's basically like getting your privates waxed while being chased by an army of angry demon babies. <laughs> Thankfully, now there's sprayable energy, or there soon will be, because the Indiegogo campaign has already been 114% funded, quote, our revolutionary spray gives you energy through your skin without the jitters, crash, chemicals, and costs of other caffeinated products, the project claims. Now, where have I heard that before? Probably some kind of drug, huh? <laughs> now, there actually is science behind it. Um, caffeine can naturally be absorbed through the skin, but it's not very soluble. Um, not enough caffeine can dissolve in liquid to be effective through the skin. Now, their patented secret sauce solves this. <laughs> Ooh, is the secret sauce coffee? <laughs> so, um, they go on. There's actually a whole bunch of uh, testimonials on there on how to make it work. Mm. So I definitely don't have time to go down and get a cup of coffee because I live in the world, in the woods, excuse me. Huh. Yeah, I guess I, people don't, I mean, what do you call it? If someone doesn't have the time to go get a coffee or make coffee, it seems like they could eat just a piece of dark chocolate or yeah. um, uh, they have roasted coffee beans or you just eat the beans. Yeah, I mean, that's mine. The closest I get to caffeine usually is uh, dark chocolate. That works for me. And people who need a little more can do those espresso beans covered in chocolate or 
Yeah, it, I thought this was an interesting project, though, because it's... I, I wonder, like, Indie, Indiegogo, I, I love some of these crowd-sourced, crowd-funded things, but it, it's interesting some of the stuff they come up with sometimes. Like, they convinced enough people that sprayable coffee would be a good idea, so now it's going to exist. Well, I mean, the thing is, is I do know that drugs can be absorbed through your skin, because I remember as a teenager getting a job, sucker and backer. If you don't know what sucker and backer is, um, the tobacco plant itself, they have to go and they break off the small leaves so the big leaves grow bigger. Hmm. And it was a decently paid job. I actually hustled myself out that summer to buy my first solar uh, panel. But the first time I did it, I didn't wear gloves. And um, I don't know if you know, but tobacco plants have something called nicotine. <laughs> yeah. And I ended up, through my hands, absorbing and just a large amount of nicotine. <laughs> and I highly recommend doing this because it will make you the highest and the sickest you've ever been in your life. <laughs> you will never, ever, ever want to touch nicotine. Yeah. So... It's like the patch. You, you did the all-natural version of the patch, but an overdose. <laughs> oh, man. I was sick for like a week. I mean, it took a long time to get back to normal. I mean, I couldn't actually even eat. That's how sick I was. That's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> but, so now I right. can experience that spray in a can. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder... I wonder why, why couldn't they do uh, nicotine spray in a can? Yeah, oh, I bet they could. No one's done that Indiegogo project yet. <laughs> it could be. It could be like, um, what do you call it? Nicotine spray in a can um, with the side effect of tan. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, coffee makes you darker, so you just spray it on you. It's like a tanning slash wake you up spray in a can. <laughs> now that there one. That might actually work on Indiegogo, that one. <laughs> Got to keep up with the fast-paced uh, tan-and-go tan lifestyle. <laughs> the, um, the awake, spray in a tan. Spray in a tan. <laughs> All right. All right, let's... Yeah, let's do some serious news, I suppose, at least for a little while. Uh, well, this one's kind of serious and kind of funny, too. Uh, Cole Shoulder. BLM sells controversial coal mining lease, but no one's buying. This week, the Bureau of Land Management in Wyoming held a sale for the lease of 148 million tons of coal on public land in the Powder River Basin and received not a single bid, which is a first in the state's Bureau of Land Management history. Uh, this sale was the first of two that the BLM had planned in the area, which combi would combined would pave the way for the extraction of 316 million tons of Powder River Basin coal, but no one was no one was buying. The company that's the first company that they expected to buy it uh, just turned it down and said they they said we carefully evaluated the estimated economics of the LBA lease by application in light of current market conditions and the uncertainty caused by the current political and regulatory environment towards coal and coal power generation, and ultimately decided it was prudent not to bid at this time. So in other words, I think between the market and the protests and the maybe not having bribed their politicians enough, they don't think it's viable. <laughs> so they didn't it's go for it. interesting. It says that federal coal leases frequently only see one bidder. 
So if there's only one bidder, uh, they can bid any price they want, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> they bid two dollars. <laughs> yeah. I'll give so, you two dollars for a million uh, pounds of coal. <laughs> well, I mean, it's probably a closed bid, so they don't know if another there's another bid or. Yeah. Huh. Well, I, I thought these were. Uh, yeah, this is. <laughs> I mean, this is interesting though that it's things like political factors are affecting the market. You know, maybe coal isn't becoming less viable now. At least new coal. I mean, there have been a series of shut shutdowns of coal plants and canceling of coal projects. So maybe coal uh, is on the decline. Yeah, domestic the coal coal is on major decline. I mean. But we still use 50% of our energy is still coal, but that is becoming less. And even the coal industries uh, plan to stay profitable by pushing exports to Asia has been facing setbacks. So I think they're actually being pretty smart to realize that starting a whole new coal mining operation is not really economically prudent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the, the ecological question, it's sort of obvious. Like, there's a lot of CO2 in the air already. We don't need any more. <laughs> but I think even from an economic standpoint, it's they've probably made a good decision. It, the market's starting to close down. I mean, it's still big, but it's not getting bigger. Just to let you know that a report has come out, climate scientists are 95% sure that Humans are causing global warming. So that means it's not really happening because 5% don't agree. <laughs> it's just like the scientists are not 100% sure, so that means that it's not being caused by humans, right? Yeah. Well, I like one of the analogies I hear. Like if there were a bridge that you were about to drive across and there were like 95% of architects said they thought the bridge is going to collapse sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> would you drive across that bridge, or would you listen to the 5% that said, oh, no, sure, it's fine, it's it's all good? It just matters how fast I was driving. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I mean, we're, we're, we're hell-bent on just continuing our current path of driving fast. So, hmm. I mean, if you were driving along and you said, uh, saw a sign that said, you know, detour, a lot of times people still try to keep going. Yeah. It's like until the road is closed, you know? Yeah, they're like, I'll take the very last turn, you know, and try to get a little further, but then they hit the end of the road. So there is a spoiler alert. Scientists are pretty damn confident that we're screwing up the climate. <laughs> yeah. Climates are buzzing over leaks from the fifth big climate report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, an earlier draft was leaked in December by client deniers trying to undermine the cause for climate change. Now, news of more recent leaked drafts come to us from Reuters, which has no such agenda. Reuters summed up the report this way. Client scientists are surer than ever that human activity is causing global warming. According to leaked drafts of a major U.N. report, but they are finding it harder than expected to predict the impact in specific regions in coming decades. Part of it is they have to base, you know, their predictions on stuff that has happened, and they don't know what's going to happen. So there's no data to predict the future, 
on what's going to happen because it's, you know, and anytime they do predict it, it's a lot worse than what they predicted. Yeah. Um, well, that's one of the challenges is, you know, it's a combination of multiple sciences in order to predict these things. Like, you can, with the climate, you can say, well, if we keep burning what we're burning, here's what's going to happen, possibly, probably. But then you don't know if we're going to keep burning what we're burning or we're going to cut all emissions or we're going to cut half of the emissions. So, that's, I mean, that's part of why, I mean, scientists are being scientists and they're saying, well, there are a lot of variables here. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen. But when 95% are saying that it's caused by humans and it's causing negative effects, that's, that's more consensus than scientists have on a lot of things, actually. Hey, it does not say anywhere in this report that it's causing negative effects. Yeah, well, I mean, this it doesn't say in this article, but that's been in a lot of articles that they also are saying <laughs> it's causing negative effects. Yeah. But again, so, that, that's hard that, to quantify because, you know, you can say, you can talk to ecologists and say, well, it will have this effect on this ecosystem, but then you can also get into economics and movement of humans, and it gets complicated. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's up from 90% in 2007, you think we would have been satisfied with 90% certainty back back in the day of 2007. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, now it's at 95%. I guess um, some, well, I mean, there's, there's always going to be people trying to be fair and balanced and always say that until there's 100% certainty. But with something as big and, I don't know, crazy as the weather um it's hard to be 100 percent certain yeah well here's another story about some of the effects of the the climate on economics actually by 2050 flooding could cost the world's coastal cities over 60 billion a year in 2005 flooding caused 6 billion worth of damage globally by 2050 we could be hit with 10 times that much in losses and that's only if the world's biggest coastal cities make significant investments to mitigate the risk. If we do absolutely nothing, the cost could soar to $1 trillion. So that's, that's an important figure there, because like $1 trillion, with climate change happening, the important things to do are to take action regarding climate change, but also to take action to prepare for the consequences. Because we've already sent in motion a lot of CO2 that is in the atmosphere that the effects haven't fully been felt. So in addition to just trying to not release more CO2, uh, mitigation, preparation for what's to come. Because that's a big difference, $1 trillion versus $60 billion. Yeah, but why should we care? We're in the Midwest. It won't affect us. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll take longer to affect us, but I guarantee you, you know, right around 2050, all the, all the people in... Uh, New York and Los Angeles, whose cities are going underwater, they're going to be looking for somewhere nice to live. <laughs> and they'll be like, hey, I heard about this really cool place called Carbondale. Like, you know, there's some cool people there. It's right by the woods. Uh, let's go check it out. I mean, currently 87 million people now live along the coast. Yeah. So, I mean, if 87 million people are affected, that's, I mean, slightly less than one-third of the nation. Yeah. And so, I mean, they're going to have to go somewhere. Climate refugees are causing a lot of problems in other countries already. So, now, this study looks not only at which cities will face the high absolute cost as a result of increased flooding, but also which will see the largest relative increase 
in average annual damages and which has the highest losses of percentage of uh, GDP. So now in, in terms of absolute losses, Miami and New York face the highest risk in developed nations. So now, in, in fact, in 2005, New York, Miami, and New Orleans accounted for 31% of total damage costs across all 136 cities studied. So, yeah, and that was 2005. I bet they don't have the figures out yet for Hurricane Sandy. Okay, this next news article, I don't know if it's super cool or super weird. <laughs> Both. Free app helps you give your leftovers to someone who needs them. Do you like life swap but wish the results were juicier? Like literally involving more juice from meats and stuff? If so, Leftover Swap is the app for you. Launching in the next couple of weeks, the app will help you find a local home for the rest of your takeout. You know that pile of food you just can't manage to cram down but paid good money for? And it seems wrong to make it mingle in the trash with your apple peels and forgotten dreams. It can find a home in someone's happy belly. Well, someone with a smartphone and someone who wants your leftovers. <laughs> yeah. Um, the app will be free. In other words, way cheaper than getting a dog. Here's how it works. Snap a picture of the food you no longer want, post it on the app's data listing, and wait for someone to place dibs on your meal. Sweet. It's basically digital dumpster diving. And it could expand beyond the iPhone masses. So, <laughs> I, um, again, I don't know if, you know, I think this is super cool or super weird. Yeah. I mean, but, it's weird. It's, it's weird enough sort of eating the leftovers of someone you know sometimes. But strangers coming along and giving you, I guess, you know, good food, microwave it to be sure you kill any bugs in it. <laughs> now, 40% of food, you know, now we're talking about leftovers not at your home, but leftovers that you get at a restaurant. And 40% of food at restaurants is thrown away. So yeah. bed, testing, bed testing will begin in that crazy city, Seattle, huh. you know, which is uh, uh, a, food, a foodie-centric city. You know, people who are really into fancy foods are... Um, yeah, so now they'll have gourmet, uh, you know, gourmet leftovers. <laughs> I wonder if you can set settings in the app so you're like, only when people from four-star restaurants are sharing their leftovers. <laughs> right. And they're, they're going to try to expand it into a food swapping website. Hmm. It's like, I don't know how that would work, but... Yeah. I could see I that, though. I like that idea uh, a little better. I mean, imagine you, you've got this can of olives that somebody gave you, but you don't eat olives, so you don't want it to go to waste. You could donate it to a food kitchen. <laughs> I mean, I have, a, I have a really hard time when I go out to eat with somebody and they have leftovers on their plate, um, and they aren't going to take it, you know? Yeah. Especially if they didn't offer me to taste the stuff. I would like, I want to taste a little of everything. I would like to go to a restaurant and have the option to have a taster plate. Or it has a, like a spoonful of everything they have there. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I like those buffets where you can go and taste a little of everything, and then decide which one you really want. So, 
All right, well, speaking of food, here's one about farming. And what's the next great farming frontier? Look up. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's a farm. <laughs> From appetizers to entrees, the menu at Chicago's Uncommon Ground restaurant touts fresh ingredients from above. Not from heaven, mind you, but maybe the next best thing. The Swiss chard and herbs adorning the beer-braised mussels were grown on the roof. Uh, today's harvest, which comes from care of farmer Jen Rosenthal, includes a bounty of fresh basil, tomatoes, peppers, and salad greens. Quote, the staff can pick at the peak of ripeness, and the food literally comes down a flight of stairs and straight into the kitchen. Now, five years ago, there were no rooftop farms in North America, says Stephen Peck, president of Toronto-based nonprofit Green Roofs for Healthy Cities. Gardens, sure, but nothing producing food on a commercial scale. Today, he estimates that there are 20, and five years from now, there may be more than 100, he says, and numbers will continue to soar. This is just the tip of the iceberg, Peck says. Rooftop farming is under consideration in every major city in America. And it makes sense. I I wish I had saved the link, but there was somebody who's... Basically, they were hired to try to find how many rooftop gardens there were. And they were having a real hard time. And so they got on that, uh, what do you call it, Google Earth, Mm -hmm. and just started zooming in onto rooftops. Uh-huh. After a couple months, you know, yeah. they actually found, like, I forget how many thousands of gardens that were, you know, Over. most of them weren't sanctioned gardens, but, like, a lot of people, because the majority, a lot of those tall buildings have flat roofs Yeah, that are non-use, and, you know, if you can get access to the roof, you can put some pots and start growing stuff or you can put a bunch of dirt and start growing hmm. stuff. Yeah. There's well, actually then... a lot of green roof stuff in Chicago because it's also they're trying to cool down the city by painting the roofs white and, and or planting green stuff. Yeah, it's a win-win for everybody. It's like, well, not the guy who has to replace the roof. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. There's <laughs> that. Well, luckily, most of those roofs are 50-year rubber roofs, so... Yeah. And also, it might even create a few jobs getting a specialized roof for commercial-scale rooftop gardens. Yep. So, I mean, if you have lack of ground, you don't have lack of roof. Yeah. Of of course, the ideal situation would be you'd put, like, an awning mount, or not an awning, a pavilion mount solar system about six or seven foot off of the roof hmm. and it plant underneath it. But the thing is, the solar still goes through the photovoltaics and so you can still plant underneath it. It does shade it some so it keeps some heat off of it. So, you know, a lot, most plants don't like to be 100% in the sun. So it actually increases production. So you do both of that and you've got yourself a completely um, utopian roof Mm-hmm. Um. All right, so let's mention a couple of holidays and happenings while we've still got some time. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, today is an important one. The UN International Day for the Remembrance of the Slave Trade and its Abolition. And, yes, it's a very important to remember this uh, this day. Uh, well, this day of remembrance. And it's also important to remember that there still is a slave trade. You know, it's... 
it is very important that it's no longer legal in in pretty much any country around the world. But it's still important too to fight it underground because it's still going on. Yep. Today is also the anniversary of the first man-powered flight back in the day. Yeah. You remember that? I remember that. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm not quite that old. All right, let's see. What else have we got going on? We've got uh, uh, oh Vesuvius Day in Italy. I wonder if that's if they know the actual anniversary of when Vesuvius erupted. Or maybe it's just a day to celebrate and pray that Mount Vesuvius doesn't erupt again. <laughs> on Sunday, it's Kiss and Makeup Day. Monday is Women's Equality Day. Apparently, one day a year they get equality, huh? <laughs> yeah, on that one day you'll get a dollar for every dollar that men get paid in their workplace, and there won't yeah. be any, any, any violence. And well, even if you could do that for one day, that that'd be a start, you know. But at least try on on Monday. So let's see some other ones coming up. Uh, oh, the birthday! This is an interesting one. Birthday of President Lyndon Johnson and Mother Teresa. They share a birthday. Wednesday is Race Your Mouse Around the Icons Day. <laughs> you got to be really bored to do that, huh? Yeah. So. And then Thursdays is More Herbs, Less Salt Day. Yeah. And the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. So, good day to think about the effects of climate change on storms. All right. So, let's get into some local happenings while we still got a minute or two got the Logic Drop-In Workday. That's happening today from uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the Local Organic Gardening Coalition of Carbondale. They're over at 3373 West Pleasant Hill Road in Carbondale. You can get your hands in the dirt and plant some broccoli and cauliflower. Let's see. Of course, we've got the Friday Night Fair tonight at 6 to 9 p.m. at the Town Square Pavilion. Free music, food, farmer's market information, flea market, regional crafts, and music. And then there's all those kids' games, too. That's phenomenal. Yeah. This week's music will be provided by Secondary Modern. Sounds like a good time. Also going on tonight, starting at 7, it's the open mic night at Guy House Interfaith Center. Express yourself in a comfortable coffeehouse-style environment. They have poets, musicians, storytellers, dancers, and more. And it's the start of the new semester, so we, they may have new SIU people. Yeah, so we, that's a happening we didn't mention this week. I mentioned it last week, I think. But welcome to all of the uh, new SIU, new and returning students. And I heard that this is the first year in 20 years that we have increased enrollment. So, Yeah. Like, it's up to all you new students to turn this town around. Right? <laughs> yeah, fill this town with your, your energy, your, your learning, your hopes and dreams. Yep. On Saturday, we have two farmer's markets. There's the one on the west side from 8 until noon, and there's the one at the Carbondale Community High School from 9 until 1 p.m. Lots of vegetables, lots of farmers, lots of food, and um, there's usually music at them, too, and kids' games. It's just a chance to participate in the community. Yes. All right, and we'll do... One more here. Well, on Wednesdays at Guy House Interfaith Center, there's two events. There's Questions of Faith and Reality. You get to write down your questions about life and all the mysteries. 
and write them down in the basket, and they get picked randomly, and you have a discussion about them. So that's 5 p.m. over at Wednesdays at Guy House, and at 7 p.m. it's game night. They have 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. People bring all their favorite games, and they choose a couple to play, and they all have a good time together. And I went last time. It was a good time. I did want to mention something that's happening in St. Louis this weekend. The International Institute Festival of Nations. It's all weekend long from 10 until 7 on Saturday and 10 until 6 on Sunday. Um, information is festivalofnationsstl.org. Music, food, performing arts, basically, well, a festival of nations. If you're into international stuff, um, let me know. I might consider going to St. Louis. We could ride up together maybe on Sunday. Sounds good. All right, well, we're way out of time at this point. So I hope the show has been exciting and informative for you as it has for us. <laughs> Any last words? Um, no, get a chance to go out to the woods before it gets um, non-nice. <laughs> yes, it's beautiful out there, so... Enjoy the woods, enjoy going for a swim, enjoy anything you do outdoors or indoors, and we'll see you here next week on the radio.